She wrote this article and she, it came out like this. She says, there are about five or six things in this world that would convince me there really is a God. She says, these five or six things would convince an atheist, somebody like me, she says, that there is a God. Now, do you want to hear what these five or six things are? I'll share it with you. Number one, she says these words. The first thing that would convince me that there is a God is this. An unambiguous message. I want to say it one more time. Number one, an unambiguous message. Does anybody know what the word ambiguous means? What would be an unambiguous message? A not confusing message. Number two, she writes, fulfilled prophecies in sacred text. Man, you guys are sleepy today. I want to read number two to you one more time. Fulfilled prophecies in sacred text would convince this atheist there is a God. Number three. Science in the Bible. That the Bible would confirm science. Number four. A successful religion. I want, do you guys, are you guys blown away by this? Some of you guys are just like, what is this about right now? I want you to hear what this atheist is actually saying, is what would convince her there really is a God? An unambiguous message. In other words, something that is finally clear and understandable. Number two. She states, fulfilled prophecies in sacred texts. In other words, some kind of literature that contains prophecies that are, have been fulfilled and are being fulfilled as we speak. Amen. Number three, she says, uh, uh, a sacred literature that confirms what science is discovering. Amen. Amen. Number four, a successful religion. Amen. Some of you are not convinced about that one yourself. Number five, you ready for this last one? This is interesting. A verifiable near-death experience. She says, if this could be verified that somebody actually died, but that came close to death, but came back, she says, this would convince me. Ladies and gentlemen, we have something more than some, a near-death experience. We actually have somebody who came back from death. Amen? Amen? She needs to come to church this morning. I believe that God wants to speak in a powerful way. But we need to pray and ask that Jesus would open up our hearts. In fact, if you have hope in the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible teaches that that is going to be your anchor for believing in the second coming. Jesus himself said, I am the what? Resurrection and the what? Life. Paul even said, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so will Christ come back and take, bring those back with him. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the foundation of the second coming resurrection is found or is seen or is uh, planted in the resurrection of Christ. And this is extremely important. Sometimes we as Christians, we're just like, yeah, we believe Jesus died and rose again. I get that. That's no big deal. We're moving past that point. But ladies and gentlemen, this is a big deal. 
This is a huge thing. This is what separates Jesus from any other religious figure is that he broke the power of death. You know, it's very interesting. I was teaching a Sabbath school. And I asked everybody in the Sabbath school, I go, how could you prove the resurrection actually took place? How could you prove the resurrection took place? You have one minute, you're on the stand, how could you prove that Jesus actually died and that He rose again? And we learn that the feet of resurrection, or the feet of the resurrection, proves the fact of the resurrection. Now what is the feet? The word feet is an acronym. Feet, F-E-A-T. Feet, fatal torment. E, empty tomb. A, appearances. And T, transformation. And this, this sort of, these components actually lay a, just a powerful argument or reason that Jesus rose from the grave. Fatal torment. In order to prove that Jesus rose from the grave, you have to first prove that He died. Many scholars believe, and many skeptical scholars believe that Jesus really didn't die. That He died days later. Years later. But here we can check just from the crucifixion account that Jesus was fatally tormented and that He actually died at that cross. And if He died, then we know that He could be resurrected. E, empty tomb. Now just think about that. When when the disciples got to the empty tomb, what did they discover inside that empty tomb? They discovered folded clothes. Do your laundry, ladies and gentlemen. That could be a witness, amen? Some of you people are hitting your husbands right now. Just think about this. Peter, James, Peter and John, when they looked inside that empty tomb, what did they see in that empty tomb? They saw folded clothes. Now just think about this. Someone who's robbing a house, they don't normally fold clothes when they rob the house. Vacuuming the house, let me vacuum the house, let me wash the dishes, let me do a little bit of dusting before I steal all this stuff. They don't do those kinds of things. When they're leaving a situation, everything gets messy. But when the disciples looked inside the tomb, you know what they saw? Folded clothes. In fact, the word that's used, the word that's used for clothes lying there is the word, the word is actually set in place. Set in place. And those who actually followed Jesus understood the habits of Jesus. The disciples picked up on this. The Bible even says in John that John saw and he believed in this. Just think about that. F. Fatal torment. E, empty tomb. A, appearances. Did you know in a court of law back then, a Jewish court of law, that if you were A, a shepherd, or B, a woman, your testimony would be invalid? When Jesus was born, who, who came to his birth, ladies and gentlemen? Shepherds. And when Jesus rose from the grave, when he died, who showed up at his grave? Women, Jesus actually used testimonies that would be easily dismissible in a Jewish court of law. But he used these testimonies because they were powerful people, individuals who could communicate the truth, who didn't have any kind of agenda to gain. Now just think about that. The Bible even says 500 people actually were there uh, when he appeared to them. How about T, transformation. So here we have fatal torment, E, empty tomb, A, appearances, and T, transformation. To me, this is the most powerful thing. Because when you take a good look at the uh, 11 of the, of the 12 disciples, 11 of them, nearly, all of them died except for one. Peter, crucified upside down. John, dipped in boiling oil, oil, boiling oil, but he didn't die. He was actually left to Patmos. James, beheaded. Thomas, stabbed in the back by a Hindu priest. Now just think about this. If Jesus really didn't die and rise again, these disciples wouldn't give themselves sacrifice for a lie. They wouldn't do that for a lie. 
If you knew full well that this was a lie, this isn't something you would give your life for. But the very fact that these men, men were willing to be stoned, Paul even talks about him being stoned twice, scourged, even being let off the side of a wall, shipwrecked. He was willing to endure, and eventually he was beheaded. Why? Because he believed in the truth. Amen? And when you begin to understand the fatal torment, the empty tomb, the appearances, and the transformation, the resurrection begins to take a whole a new focus. And you begin to realize that this is a fact. And this fact, we rest our hope. Amen? Amen. Now here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be looking at what Greta Christina said. She said, look, we're looking for somebody who, who had a near-death experience. We're going to do better than that. We're going to look at somebody who actually died and then rose again. We're actually looking at the story of Lazarus. Take your Bible. Let's go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is a very powerful chapter in the Bible. John chapter 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're sitting next to someone who doesn't have a Bible, please get a Bible for them. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Okay. Let's start with verse 1. John chapter 11. Now a certain man was what? Sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. This is very interesting, ladies and gentlemen. These, these, uh, these, these female disciples, Mary and Martha, and they're ministering to Lazarus, and he's sick. And they're like, we need to go get Jesus. No physician can help, get help here, help her. And so they dispatch a rider. He goes out to Jesus, who wasn't, by the way, very far away, just a few miles away. Just a few miles away. And he could have been in there, been there less than an hour. They had no other hope. Lazarus was perishing, and they knew that Jesus cared about Lazarus, his friend. So they thought, wow, Lazarus, whom you love, is sick. Surely Jesus would respond to that. Anyone who was around Jesus never died. Anyone who was around Jesus was healed. And Jesus was willing to minister to anybody, and even more, those who loved him. Let's continue with this story. Verse 4. And when Jesus, what? Heard that. Now pay attention to this. This is very interesting. Jesus heard it. He said, This sickness isn't unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He heard that he was sick. Notice this next part. So when he heard that they were sick, or he was sick, he stayed Two more, what? Days in the place where he was. Now this is very interesting, ladies and gentlemen. Notice the logic that's placed right there. When Jesus found out that Lazarus was sick, the, the brother of two people he cared deeply about, he stayed in the exact same spot two more days. Now isn't that kind of unusual? I mean, isn't it kind of paradoxical that here's Jesus, who's willing to help out anybody, go any place to heal somebody, cross over land and sea to help demoniacs. Here you have a situation where people who are very close to him, whom Jesus himself trusts, he stayed in the exact same spot 
two more days. The language seems to imply because he loved them is why he stayed in where he was at. Now that's quite strange. You would rewrite that maybe and you may say because he loved them is why he took off riding on a horse to go see them. But completely the opposite happens. He stays in the exact same spot. Let's continue. Lightning and thunder is happening. Okay. Verse 8. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the, or excuse me, verse 7. Then after this he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anybody walks in the day, he shall not stumble, but because he sees the light of this world. Verse 10, and if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Verse 11, this is interesting. These things he said, and after that he said to them, are what? Friend. That's very interesting. Our what? Friend. Lazarus is what? Nowhere else in scripture do you have this kind of dynamic where Jesus is actually saying, this person is my friend and this is what we're going to do. What you have right here is that Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, guess what? I really care about this guy. And after a few days of being here, now we're going to go there. All of a sudden the mystery is becoming more and more stranger. It's like, why in the world would Jesus be delaying and now all of a sudden he wants to go help Lazarus? Let's continue. Our friend Lazarus what? Sleeps. Let's continue. Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may what? Wake him up. His disciples said to him, very interesting, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. Right? His disciples are quite confused. They don't understand that what Jesus is referring to is that Lazarus has actually died in the few days of waiting. And so Jesus said, he's sleeping, calls death a what? Sleep, And his disciples aren't really getting it. And the reason why is because at that time in Judaism, there were so many beliefs about what happened when a person died. And they did not call death asleep at that time. Some of them believed that there was this dualism where there was this soul and this body, Greek influence, and the soul would be floating around. And so they couldn't quite comprehend what Jesus was referring to is that Lazarus had actually died. You'll see this. Come on. Let's keep going. Verse 13, however, Jesus spoke of his what? Death. So what was Jesus speaking about? His what? So what did Jesus call death? A what? A sleep. Jesus spoke of his what? Death. Okay, very good. Let's continue. And they thought he was speaking about taking what? Rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is what? Dead. All of a sudden he gets the, 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 the catcher and he says, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? He's like, Lazarus is actually dead. You're not getting what I'm saying. He says, Lazarus, our friend, has actually died. He's sleeping in the grave. Let's continue. And this is the key part. And I am glad for what? Your sake that I was not there. Now all of a sudden the, the mystery is becoming more and more stranger. It's like, what? what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Now I'm glad for your sake I wasn't actually there. Wait a minute. We would say, wait, if you were glad for our sake, you would be like, Jesus, you should have been there already. But he says, I was glad for your sake I was not there yet. 
And all of a sudden the mystery is just still getting more and more stranger. It's like, what in the world is going on here? Let's continue. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Thomas, wonderful Thomas, brilliant Thomas, says, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Very interesting. Verse 17. Then Jesus came. He found that he had already been in the tomb how many days? Four days. So how long had Lazarus been dead, ladies and gentlemen? Four days. Four days. Lazarus was out. He perished during that time of sickness, during that time that the disease was taking over Lazarus' body. Mary and Martha witnessed a great tragedy. They saw their good brother. They saw, they thought about their family who loved Jesus, who was following God. And now this tragedy, this painful situation has happened. And Lazarus has just died before the very eyes. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, many times in our lives, we're going to have questions that are going to hit us so hard. And oftentimes the questions will come in various ways, but eventually it comes down to this whole point. God, if you could answer this prayer, how come you are not? God, if you have all the power in the world, why are you allowing this delay to happen? If you hold up the entire universe, why is this tragedy allowed to come upon my life when I'm supposed to be following you? This is the story that, this is the situation every person is confronted with in this planet. You know, when you read the chapter of the book called The Great Controversy, if you actually read the intro, it says something very interesting. It says, this book, Ellen White says, this book was written to give sufficient answers to the problem of evil. Sufficient answers to the problem of evil. I really want to challenge you to check out that book. But let's go back to that story. Verse 18. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem about how many miles away? 50 miles away? 60 miles away? 300 miles away? How many miles away, ladies and gentlemen? Two miles. Now I know some people here are so out of shape, it's still taking three hours to walk two miles. But here's the thing to understand. Two miles is like nothing. Two miles is like nothing. Let's continue. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning the brother. Now we're starting to see a unusual situation. Now a lot of the people coming out, many of the Jews are coming from Jerusalem, and they're coming to go comfort Mary and Martha. You see, they were very connected to the priests, some of the priests. Simon the leper, who was actually a Pharisee who was healed, they were connected to him. And so here's the situation gathering. A lot more people are showing up to visit Mary and Martha. They're coming there to comfort them. And this crowd begins to develop around Mary and Martha's home. And then it's at that moment Jesus begins to go there. And so Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she met him. Now Mary was sitting in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, now notice this next phrase, If you had been here, my brother would not what? have died. Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened. Let's continue. But even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And like a good Seventh-day Adventist, notice what she says. Martha said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I signed that off on my baptismal certificate. 
He'll rise again at the last day, the second coming. I heard Pastor Nell went to his evangelistic series 40 times. He, Jesus, when he comes back, will be part, Lazarus will be part of that resurrection. But notice what Jesus says at this moment. He lays a rebuke to this woman. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus was saying to her, you don't get it. The whole second coming takes place because of my presence. And there he was communicating to Martha, you don't get it. My presence is here right now. And if I'm here right now, you know what that means? A resurrection can take place. Amen? Look what Ellen White says right here. She says something very interesting. Had Christ been in the sick room, Lazarus would not what? Have died. For Satan could have, would have no power over him. Death could not have aimed his dart at Lazarus in the presence of the life giver. Therefore Christ, notice this next part, remained away. Two things you need to know. Number one, that when you're around Jesus, you cannot die. Can you say amen to that? And that's not just referring to physical, it's referring to spiritual. And when Jesus is in your life, you cannot perish. And that's very important. It's one's walk with God to always invite the presence of Jesus. In fact, when you look at the presence of Jesus, you look when Moses... When God told Moses, take the rod and put it near me. And he took the rod. And all of a sudden, what happened to that rod? It became alive. It became alive. In the presence of God, life happens. He is the life giver. He is the source of life. He didn't just say, hey, I'm, I can give resurrection power to this situation. He says, I am the resurrection I am life. And if he was there a few days prior, Lazarus could not have died. He could not have ended into that tragedy. So that asks, asks another question. Wait a minute. Then why did Jesus delay? Let's continue. He suffered the enemy to what? Exercise his power. Now notice this next part. That he might drive him back a what? A conquered foe. This is interesting. He suffered the enemy to exercise his power that he might drive him back a conquered foe. Jesus allowed what seems to be a situation where Satan was triumphing. But you know what Jesus did? He turned the situation around and he used it to glorify God. This was the first time that the Jews were actually witnessing the resurrection right before the very eyes. You see, prior to that, when Jesus resurrected a young girl, her parents were there. When he resurrected the widow of Nain's son, a lot of people were so distracted, they didn't even see Jesus come up next to the side of the coffin. But in this situation, there could be no doubt about the power of God. And so he allowed a situation to grow, to be provoked, you could say, so that he could be glorified. You know, I begin to realize when I study the life of Abraham, Abraham gets called to the promised land, he runs into one problem. He runs into another problem. He runs into one problem, one problem after another. But what I begin to notice, although there was a common denominator of problems, in every one of those problems, God blessed Abraham, and he came out of those problems greater and richer than he was before. 
So here's a situation where God is allowing what seems to be a big old storm to happen, which could potentially lead to a rejection, greater rejection of Jesus. And He allows this tragedy, this thing to grow. And the reason why He allows it to grow is so that He can be glorified through it. Are you suffering through some tragedy right now? Are you going through some trial in your life and you're wondering, why is God allowing this? Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus says to you, I am glad for your sake I'm not intervening earlier as I didn't intervene earlier. He is going to bless you through those things. God will be glorified through those things ultimately. Let's continue. He permitted Lazarus to pass under the dominion of death and the suffering sister saw her broken brother laid in the grave. Christ knew as they looked on the dead face of their brother, their faith in the Redeemer would be severely tried. And sure enough, when a tragedy or trial or a testing time comes upon God's people, it is, there is a risk that we're being, we may end up walking away from the situation. We may end up walking away from the Lord. But what is so interesting, the greater the trust, the greater the risk, but the greater the rewards. Are you in a big test today? Have you been experiencing troubles recently? Praise the Lord. Can you say praise the Lord? Even if you're mumbling it right now and it's hard for you to say it, praise the Lord, right? Even when you feel the pain, you can still say, praise the Lord. Amen? Let's hear a praise to the Lord. Hey, if you're going through trials, you should be saying that much louder. Are you going through some trials? Praise the Lord. Amen. Right? Let's continue reading. But they knew that because of the struggle through which they were now passing, their faith would, notice the next phrase, would shine forth with what? Greater power. He suffered every pang of sorrow that they endured. What they felt he experienced in his own heart. The Bible says in all our affliction, he is afflicted. You're going through pain, you're going through troubles. Jesus feels that. We don't have a high priest who is not touched with the feelings of our infirmities. What you feel he feels to a greater extent because he has a greater, greater capability for emotions. He loved them no less because he tarried. He knew that for them, for Lazarus. Notice the next phrase, that phrase. He loved them no less because he tarried. We would think because God is delaying, he must love us less. He didn't love them any less. But he knew for them, for Lazarus, for himself and for his disciples, a victory was to be gained. For your sakes, to the intent you may believe. Notice this next phrase. To all who are reaching out. To feel the guiding hand of God. The moment of greatest discouragement. The moment of greatest discouragement is the time when divine help is nearest. The moment of greatest discouragement is when divine help the nearest. They will look back with thankfulness upon the darkest part of the way. From every temptation and every trial, He will bring them forth with firmer faith and a what? Richer experience. Can you say amen to that? Ladies and gentlemen, the things that we see as an opposition against us and our lives, oftentimes God is using for our benefits in the end. 
in the end. Let's continue with this. Go back to John chapter 11. Verse 27. No, verse 25, one more time. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me knows his next part. Though he may die, he shall what? Live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never what? Die. Do you believe this? He appeals to her right now. Notice what she says. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary. Her sister saying, the teacher has come and is calling you. So as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly, came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out following her saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then Mary came where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet saying to him, notice this next phrase, Lord, if you had been there, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. You know what's interesting? I was doing this, uh, I was looking at this survey of Christian apologists and the number one question they're asked. Do you know the number one question Christian apologists are asked? This is the number one question. Out of all the questions, you would think, maybe it's about how can you prove God's existence? How can you prove the validity of the Bible? Maybe you would think of something like that. The number one question that Christians are asked, Christian apologists are asked is this. If God is so good, why is the world so bad? That's the number one question that's asked to Christian apologists. Did you know Jesus actually gave a parable where he was describing that same question? He talks about a man who planted a good farm, and that man all of a sudden had an enemy who showed up in the middle of the night and began to plant tares. The morning comes and all the servants are like, wait a minute, they ask a fundamental question. They said, did you not plant good seeds? Notice the next part of the question they ask. Where then did the bad come from? Notice their question. Did you not plant good seed? In other words, you're supposed to be a good farmer. And the question they ask right afterwards, where did this bad come from? Rephrase it. If you're supposed to be good, where did this evil come from? The same question we are, people are asking all over the world. Is the same question Jesus posed that was posed by his servants. And you know what Jesus did? He pointed that blame right where it was and he says, An enemy has done this. An enemy. He's the one that's responsible for all this junk that's been happening in our planet today. An enemy. He pointed the blame exactly where it was and he says, An enemy has done this. In one part, he's explained the great controversy again to some of his disciples. And he says, hey, do you remember that situation? He says, where there was this Jews that were in this Tower of Shalom, and all of a sudden that tower fell, no reason, and killed those Jews. And then he says, do you remember that situation where there was Pilate, and he got so angry at some Jews, he ordered them executed. And what Jesus says, that in this world you're going to cover, encounter two kinds of evil. A, a natural kind of evil where there doesn't seem to be great explanations for its cause. And then he says, there will be another kind of evil you will encounter, a moral kind of evil you will encounter in this world. But he gets right down to the, the, the point of the matter and he says, but you need to turn to the Lord in spite of that. Amen? Let's continue on with this story. Verse 33, therefore Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping. He groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? 
They said to him, Lord, come and see. Now I want you to pay attention to this. There's something happening in the heart of Jesus. He's groaning in his spirit. Let's continue. Verse 35. Jesus wept. He wept. The emotions begin to grow in this. As Jesus is looking not just upon this person who has died, the family that's sorrowing, he's taking in all of humanity. You know, one day I was driving, when the Royal Grande, where I was a youth pastor, and I was driving, there was a cemetery. And I remember witnessing something that just broke my heart. I was driving, and all of a sudden I looked, and I saw this funeral procession, and they came to this spot, and there was this coffin this big. This big. This big. Verse 37, some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind, could he not kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been there, he has been dead for four days. Verse 40, Jesus corrects her. Jesus said, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Verse 41, then they took away the stone from that place where the dead man was laying. And you can just imagine, with bated breath, everyone is looking upon that scene. Here's Jesus looking at this tomb right now. Mary and Martha right next to him. All the Jews gathered. His disciples rolled away that stone. And for this moment, you see Jesus face to face with death itself. Death itself. The inevitable wages of sin. The ultimate conclusion for all of his creatures if they reject him. He is putting face to face at that very moment. And you can imagine all the Jews there, bated breath, everyone's quiet. Their hearts are pounding and they're looking upon this very scene. Wondering what's going to happen. And this is where something powerful takes place. Something powerful that needs to be in the heart of every believer. Let's read the rest of the story. Verse 41. They took away the stone from that place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. Because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe you have sent me. And notice verse 43. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! Then you can imagine that moment. And all of a sudden they hear this stir inside that tomb. And Lazarus comes out bound by those cloths. And everyone saw something they had never seen before. They saw somebody come back from the dead. Something they had never witnessed before. Ellen White says something very interesting. At that very moment she says this. This was so powerful. Here the disciples and the people were to be given the most convincing evidence in regard to the relationship existing between Christ and God. And what is that evidence? That death cannot stand in the way. Can you say amen to that? 
And the same applies to your life spiritually. Do you feel dead spiritually sometimes? Do you feel like you're waiting for something to happen? Maybe some external situations to change and you're wondering, why hasn't that changed? And you just find yourself fading away, spiritually dying, day after day, and you're wondering what's going to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said, I am the what? Resurrection and the life. I want to invite you to invite Jesus into your life again. Amen. You know, in the Old Testament, by the way, whenever the Jews were praying to God, they would always hone in on a particular characteristic of God that they wanted to see fulfilled in their life. So they would say to the God, Jehovah Jireh, please bless me, which means God shall provide. Adonai, they would turn, they would quote various names of God that that shared His character. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're struggling spiritually, then you need to pray to the God who says, I am the resurrection and the life. Can you say hallelujah to that? This is a powerful thought when you begin to realize this. Powerful thought. This was the most convincing evidence. And Jesus did something that would catapult His ministry to its end. Because as soon as the Jews saw what he just did, instead of turning to him and saying, you know what, we're going we're gonna to praise God for this miracle, many of those priests asked in the very last part of the chapter, he's doing too many miracles now. We need to kill him. We need to kill him. But it was at that point that many of the Jews began to believe as well. And Jesus allowed this tragedy to take place so that God could be ultimately glorified. God wants to bless you in your tragedies. He wants to bring good out of the trials in your life and the struggling you're experiencing. And what appeared to be to the disciples 2,000 years ago when Jesus died was the beginning of a brand new phase of their experience. Oftentimes God is allowing things to be destroyed around us because He wants to start something brand new in us. So praise the Lord when things are happening. Grit your teeth and praise the Lord. You know what? Some of us reading some kind of article that was saying the most successful people aren't the people who have the highest IQ. Now you're going to say, I know what the answer is. Tell me what you think the answer is. They have the highest what? It's not, the most successful people aren't those who have the highest IQ. They have the highest EQ. Have you heard that before? Or EI, emotional intelligence, right? Have you heard that something? Anybody heard that before? Yeah, the most successful people aren't those who have the highest IQ. They have the highest emotional intelligence. Guess what? That Actually, that, that um, sort of, you can say, research has been scrapped. They actually came out with a new element. They believe that actually honing in on the one element they believe, what makes people successful and those aren't, is the element where people are gritting their teeth and still going forward. Do you got grit? Ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking to Jesus, you got heavenly grit. Amen? God will give you the endurance that you need to keep going forward. But He will bring you out. He will bring you to a harbor of safety. And you're going to see then looking back, you're going to be like, I'll praise the Lord, it was painful, it was troublesome. I didn't understand why situations kept falling apart. But now I've come to the end. If I've come to that harbor, I'm looking back. Whoo, couldn't have it any other way. Any other way. 
And the Lord even says in Desire of Ages that as people were praising God and running to Lazarus, she says that Jesus slipped away quietly from that scene. He slipped away quietly from that scene. And while everybody was praising God and thanking the Lord for this great and grand miracle, the very author of life moved on to his next ministry. Ladies and gentlemen, this is extremely important for every believer. This hope that we have as Christians, believing that it's not just a, uh, we're, we're looking forward to the second coming, and that's powerful, that's important. But Jesus is offering to us resurrection power today. Philippians 3 verse 10 says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Referring to spiritually, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus came, like Ravi Zacharias says, not to make just bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Amen? Are you feeling dead today? Some of you look dead. But Jesus is near. Amen? And if you feel like the enemy's power is growing in your life, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord that God is going to turn this around for your your exaltation in the end. He's going to turn it around for your glory in the end, which will lead to God being glorified in an even greater way. And it's interesting, if you go to this one place, there was a tomb that was found, a coffin, and it had this inscription. And it said these words, Lazarus, elder in Larnaca, four days dead, friend of Jesus. Friend of Jesus. Scholars believe that is the tomb of none other than Lazarus himself. Friend of Jesus. God allowed this trial to come upon his good friend. He trusted Lazarus, his family. He trusted them through this experience that they were going to be able to withstand it. Others who could not, he would not allow. But for Lazarus, his friend... He was testing them, this, this trial that was to come upon them. He trusted them that when this was going to be over, God would be ultimately glorified. They were in the school of hard knocks here. And now they were going through a test. But God knew, Jesus knew that they would come out faithful. And He believes that's going to happen for you too. How many people say, I want to hold on to the resurrection and the life today. I want to hold on to Jesus with everything in me. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you put this story for our benefit. And that no matter what is happening, God, we trust that you will come to our aid soon. Dear Jesus, we pray that you would bless those who are struggling, who feel they're at the point of death. Lord, we pray that you would bless them with your presence to know that you are the resurrection and the life. Thank you, Lord. We don't have to wait till the second coming to experience renewal. We can experience that today. 
Jesus, dwell in our hearts. Help us to remove the stones that may be there that you may have or do a resurrection in our lives. Bless each person. May our hearts be full of joy today, trusting in your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.